Broadcasting from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia to around the globe. You're listening to Shark Bite Biz, your exclusive place for business strategy, sales, marketing, and tech in the roaring 20s. And now, here's your host, David Strausser. Welcome to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete chaos. Today's show it's all about the Benjamins. First, though, please support the show. Get the freshest zombie-themed coffee you can buy. I'm talking about coffee that is roasted, sealed, and shipped all within a 24-hour period to your doorstep. Head on over to deadhousecoffee.com. Use the code SHARK. You'll get 20% off of your order and all the proceeds directly support us producing the biggest and best show we possibly can. So let's get back to today's show. As I said, it's all about the Benjamins today. We're going to be talking about money, COVID, the markets, all that type of good stuff. We're going to sprinkle in some crypto there as well, too. So you must be asking, who do we have today, right? Well, none other than the author of Mindful Money himself, Mr. Jonathan Dio. Jonathan Dio has led an independent financial planning firm since 2002. He and the Mindful Money team work one-on-one with 300 families and foundations. The Mindful Money team offers simple steps to financial success and tools to mindfully overcome emotional and cognitive biases related to money. Jonathan provides keynotes at workshops and at conferences and associations. His team works with businesses to build transparent retirement plans and financial education programs for employees. Jonathan is passionate about spreading the values of goal-focused and planning-driven wealth management to help people enjoy better financial outcomes and live happier lives. Happiness is key, isn't it? His personal goal is to touch 1 million lives in 10 years with mindful money financial education courses. Jonathan has been a California-based financial advisor for over 25 years. He has managed investments at a variety of Wall Street companies before founding his own financial planning firm. He's a contributor on personal finance matters for the Huffington Post, Business Insider, and many others, as well as being featured in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. So, hey, without further ado, let's bring Mr. Moneybags, Mr. Jonathan Dio, right on in here. Personal Growth. Jonathan, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Ah! Uh, <laughs> Thanks, David. I'm glad to wow. be here. Wow. <laughs> First person to scream. That's awesome. <laughs> totally love it. So we have a tradition on this show. Very first question. We ask everybody, where you been? What are you doing? Where are you going? Tell us all about you in a nutshell. What makes Jonathan, Jonathan? Obviously, every podcast asks that question at the very beginning. And it's always, do you want the, do you want the 30 second answer? Or do you want the four minute answer? Because we can go two different ways with this. Could be fun, could be quick, could be long, could be really long. Which one will be more fun? I, I, I want the fun route. It, that could be short. I mean, yeah. if, you had, if you've had a bored life, that could be the 10 second version. I don't know. The simplest version <laughs> is I, I, I'm, a semi, I'm a poor kid turned seminarian mm-hmm. 
turned Buddhist academic, turned financial advisor. And I've been a financial advisor meditating daily for 25 years. So you can you can pull on all kinds of threads there that are really interesting. Um, but yeah, I'll, seminarian, I'll okay, seminarian, that would be as far more like Christian faith, right? Yep, yep. Like seminary Lutheran school minister. and stuff. Yep. Okay, so you went from there to Buddhist, I believe. Okay, to financial advisor. That's the that's okay. The path. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is uh, that is quite the journey. I tell you what, that is literally like a five second story, and it gives me a million things. And <laughs> you know, I was gonna say something, but I know I'd get canceled for it uh, because he'd be it in the money. But I'm just staying away from it altogether. <laughs> but uh, let's just jump in that. I mean, what do you do with money? What is your exact job as a financial advisor? So it's, it's a great question. And actually, it's actually smarter than than you probably know, because there's mm-hmm. there's what most financial advisors do. And I think most financial advisors think that their job is providing better performance in terms of investments for their clients. And I completely disagree, because I, th- I think that the idea of providing performance is an impossible ask. Nobody can predict or control markets. So given that you can't predict or control markets, what levers are you pulling for performance? You can't do anything with it. Right. So the thing that I think great financial advisors do, there's two things. The, the first thing is we educate clients. We educate clients about how markets work, how economies work, how the decisions they make affect their future, which brings up the second thing that we do, which is financial planning. If, uh-huh. I mean, this stuff is really not complex. If you look at it in terms of just the simple resource management game, um, mm-hmm. you have income, you've got outflow, you, you have to save some of that income and invest some of that income. So you have future income that you can rely on. And it's literally that simple. And if you, if you get out of the game of, what are the headlines saying? What are the headlines saying? What are the headlines saying? And you think yep. about how does history work? How, how does this stuff work over long periods of time? You get out of all the biases, you get out of all the craziness, you don't have to pay attention to markets, um, and you can plan and make the right trade-offs for your future. So I think that that's in terms of circle of competence, that's what we do is we help people understand how markets work, how, how they can employ those markets to, to get to those goals that they have and help them set those goals and understand the financial resources they'll need at those different points in their lives. That is pretty interesting. And I really like asking that question to every financial advisor that we have on here because I tell you what, not one single person has given the same exact answer. Everybody views it very different and it's a very... You know, it, it's weird. It's one of those terms. People will be like, yeah, I'm a financial advisor. Okay. And you just take it for granted. Like, okay, he advises wealth, money, and stuff like that. But not many people, I think, really dig down deeper than that. And it, it it's crazy how, I think, how deep financial... I never really realized that till I started doing the show. I mean, we've had a guy on here that specializes just in note investing with wealth advisement, uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. So COVID has brought a lot of challenges that I think, you know, you said that you can't predict, obviously we couldn't have predicted COVID, but you said that you often look for trends through the past. 
How do the past trends help you with something like COVID? I mean, it's a great question. It, hit, it hits right at the core of the problem that we face as investors. Mm -hmm. the, the problem we face as investors is, again, the future is unpredictable. We don't know what happens in the next three months, six months, one year, three years. But the longer you go out in time, the more predictable the future becomes. And that's right. not, you're not, you're not predicting specific technologies. You're predicting market averages. If you look at, you know, if you look at a, a rolling one-year market period, it could be up 50%, it could be down 50%. And it literally could be one or the other. Looking forward, you have no idea which one it's going to be. If you look at a 20-year rolling period, it could be up five, it could be up nine, right? That's the 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 extreme gets really boxed in between two very similar numbers when you look at long periods of time. So if we're planning, if we're thinking about, you know, retirement incomes we can't outlive starting 20 years in the future and lasting for 30 years in retirement, that's 50 years of planning. You don't need to care what's happening in the next three months. You don't need to care if a pandemic hits. You don't need to mm -hmm. care if inflation is here. You don't need to think about that stuff. And in fact, there's an enormous amount of research on this. Academics have been looking at this for a long time. There are levers you can pull that will provide benefits to you long-term. Those are not the levers most people in my seat sell with. Most people mm -hmm. sell with recent past performance or sell with some new widget, Bitcoin, whatever. Um, and if you if you think about- Dogecoin, you, it's all about Dogecoin. Dogecoin, all right. <laughs> Just, which is the coin that was never intended to be a coin. It's the joke hey, coin. Hey, you know what? I, I <laughs> bought it not really knowing what it was. I, I I think it was like the first day that it was on Robinhood. I'm like, oh, I can buy crypto. There's Dogecoin. Okay, I'll get 50 bucks. And then just one day I'm looking at it and it's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, this is worth 2,000 bucks? Like what? <laughs> I, I just didn't get it. And then it just kept going up from there you know the whole wall street bets thing that's something i want to touch on a little bit later but uh i had to throw that little story in there because wow it, it's that's almost like a lottery ticket i think scenario so so the, i mean the question is is that did you do that skillfully or was that lucky that's where i would say lucky that's why i said it was a lottery ticket because oh. it was like hey i got 50 bucks to spend just like if I'm going out there and I'm buying a lot, I don't, I don't buy one or $2 lottery tickets. I buy the $30 ones because it's like, hey, if I'm going to win the lottery, I'm not going to win 10 grand. I am winning 10 million. So I go for the big ones. It's go big or go home. As, as long as you recognize that that's your speculation money, that's fine. But if you're if right. you probably wouldn't base your future retirement income on speculation, right? Right, that's, correct. That's the lesson. That's one of the biggest problems that people have is they think, and this is when you talk about subreddit and GameStop and these kinds of things, mm -hmm. those are speculations. And if you think you're investing and you're really speculating, you have a problem ahead of you. If you think right. you're, right, if, 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 you, if you're looking at, oh, cash flows, productive assets, and you're thinking about analysis and you can get to investments, you're in great shape. I, I, what I do is invest. I don't. I don't speculate. I don't buy lottery tickets. I don't buy Bitcoin. Uh, okay. Okay. I'll let you slide <laughs> on that one because you're a guest, you know. But okay, you you don't uh, long term though because we've had a lot of the financial advisors, uh, some really respected ones, and they're like, hey, you know, whether you fully believe in Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever coin sure. it may be. 
having at least a small percentage of that as part of a diversified portfolio these days is probably smart because like it or not, it's worth something. There's money behind it. So two quick points. Um, One of the reasons that Warren Buffett and, um, you know, Jack Bogle can talk about how 90% of your investments should be in the S&P 500 is because 50% of the revenue that comes to the S&P 500 comes from international sources. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much that you're diversified internationally by the companies you own. It's because those companies do business elsewhere. Okay. My approach to Bitcoin, my approach to any new potential amazing thing is by owning businesses because PayPal, you know, Tesla, all of these companies will use Bitcoin in a way that benefits the company. And so I will own Bitcoin by owning a globally diversified portfolio of equities. And I don't have to think about, is it going to be Litecoin or Bitcoin or Ethereum or Dogecoin? I don't have to think about it. I don't have to guess because they will all use it and it will benefit their bottom lines. And I can trust that. Um, So for me, again, I'm trying to do this in a simple way, trying not to spend, I'm not, I'm trying to keep my clients from having to spend every waking moment thinking about it, watching it, paying attention to it, reading about it. And so the way to do that is to trust that that's what companies do is they look for ways mm-hmm. to use the tools available to them to produce more goods and services at a lower cost for customers and while their customers at the same time. And that now means I'm invested in it. Now, I want to go back to what you were talking about a, a moment ago, and you kind of went there when you were saying about like, hey, you don't need to think about things three months from now or today or tomorrow. You know, it's more the long-term trends, 20, 30 years down the road. And as you were saying that, before you said it, it was like, well, that's essentially what you're doing with something like the 401k. You're banking the money today, hoping that, you know, there's going to be the major increase, um, you know, 30 years down the road so that you can retire with it and then, you know, live off of it for 20, 30 years, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... One of the benefits of the 401k, there's there's two benefits. One, once it's in there, it's it's harder to get out or it's more expensive to get out, right? There's penalties right. involved, right? So, so you're investing long-term. Um, the second thing is it's it's monthly. It's not mm-hmm. like I got to have $50,000 to do it right now. I just put in 10% of my salary every single month and boom, 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 boom. And slowly but surely, you get a raise. The 10% goes up a little bit. Maybe you bump it to 11%. Um, but it accumulates over time. And you get to benefit from what, I don't know if it was Ben Franklin or it was just my father, but somebody said that uh, <laughs> the dollar cost averaging is the eighth wonder of the world. And dollar cost averaging enables you to buy more when stocks are cheap and buy less when stocks are expensive. And so that dollar cost averaging is an incredibly powerful tool that is really available simply and easily inside someone's 401k. It's a great tool. That is, I think, really good advice. And I can really sense all of our uh, viewers out there on YouTube or listeners checking right now. I know as soon as I get off with you, I want to check my Transamerica to see if it's there and uh, exactly what it says. But I do have an interesting question for you. So we don't really get too much into politics directly on this channel because it's a business show. but there is some crossover, whether it's regulation or whatever it may be. And 
You know, we just got out of probably one of the most contentious elections that we may ever see. Well, at least up until 2024. And we're about a year out from the midterms. I mean, how much of an effect does that really have on a short-term financial cycle? Long-term, it sounds like we're good based off what you just said, but short-term, I mean, is it something that gives bumps in the road? I mean, I haven't, in the markets, I haven't seen much of a difference between the transition from Trump to Biden, it's still going up, it seems. And and when we transitioned from Obama to Trump, it really didn't change direction either. I mean, it's right. So mo- most of these, there can always be volatility. In fact, the 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 challenge that I think most people have is they believe that when markets start to go down, that is when you should get out of the way, and so they sell mm-hmm. as things decline. And guess what? If if lots of people sell as it declines, it declines further. That's the definition, right? right? That you know, so so the the challenge is keeping the political stuff and your beliefs out of your portfolio. Um, markets are going to be volatile for mm-hmm. whatever reason. They're going to be volatile for sometimes it'll be headline risk. You know, I. I you know, I want to. Can I can well, I jump in one second? Yeah, I just want to mention yeah. something. If you look at so many successful CEOs, Fortune fifty, Fortune one hundred. Fortune 500 CEO, top level, executive level people. One of the top things that they said they've done is, hey, I cut out the political BS or I cut out the news cycles and my life, my productivity has increased tenfold. You know, I've made more money without looking at this. Like if there's some regulation specific to their industry, let's just use, I don't know, social media, for example, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And, you know, you have them being grilled by the senators. Yes. Okay. That's a special interest that they're going to delve into, but everything else, they just kind of block out unless it's core to their business. And it, it, they're saying that they've seen returns on that in personal growth, professional growth, and their business growth by doing that. Do you think that's true? Oh, I I think it's absolutely true, but I I don't think it's just, I don't think it just belongs in the political realm. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that's distraction. Mm -hmm. Social media is a a great example. And I have a 16 year old and a year old. So, you know, I'm all about trying to limit the social media exposure because of the distraction. I worry it will become, but it's. You worded it best there. It's getting out of the distraction and that distraction can be politics. It can be just the daily news trying to get the clicks. And clickbait, everything. Exactly. Yep. yep. If, you focus, if you focus, <laughs> what you focus on will improve, period. Mm-hmm. That's how, I mean, that's why I meditate. That's why I sort of clear the decks every morning. That's why I have a morning routine. I set these things up so that the rest of my day can be more successful. I mean, ultimately, you cut out all that political type stuff, you know, those distractions, and you keep that separate from your money. Because the market's going to be volatile regardless. And well, it's just being yeah. smart about it. Is that and, what I'm getting? Well, so, so yes, but let's, 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 let's peel back the onion a little bit. So the reason you can, mm-hmm. the, the reason you can ignore it is because remember, remember what these businesses do. It doesn't matter what business we're talking about, right? Right. Every business, when a new president comes in or when there's a potential for a new president, they go, okay, there's somebody new at the helm. How is that going to affect our business? Is it going to affect the cost of our inputs? Is it going to affect the, you know, the rate of inflation? Is it going to affect our customers? Is it going to affect, mm-hmm. what's it going to affect? And how can we 
be profitable, maintain our growing revenues, growing profits, and growing dividends in this new space. Every executive team has to go through this whenever there's a changing of the guard on the political world. And some of them are going to decide, hey, we're going to do this and this and this. Some of them are going to decide to do just the opposite, right? right? And so as you average all of those decisions together, you know, if you think about what one should do when one invests, how you invest so that you can ignore it, there's three simple steps, three things. That's all there is, three things. You have, a, you have to have a plan appropriate asset allocation. You have to diversify and you've got to rebalance. Mm-hmm. If you do those three things, you don't have to watch politics because it all averages out. You don't have to watch inflation or the Fed because it all averages out. You don't, you don't have to think about this stuff on a daily basis and you can live a fuller and more meaningful life not thinking about this. By the way, research says that it doesn't affect your performance at all to do it this way, right? It's a positive on your life and it's a positive on your performance. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's good because it sounds a lot kind of what I was saying and what you were saying, just uh, kumbaya together right there. And, <laughs> you know, they just smashed together, had a baby. I, I, I think we just made some major headway right there. That's amazing. So, I mean, it, it really is coming down to taking the stress out of personal finance, I believe, because... Yeah. You know, inflation, you see the headlines, inflation, inflation, inflation. Now, long term, I can see where, okay, maybe that doesn't bother you, but inflation right now, current day, today, tomorrow, next week, prices are going up. You can't ignore that. And salaries, I could tell you, like things are costing me a week with my day job at Vision 33. Our annual review cycles are in April, so we get our raises every April 1st, okay? I can tell you as of right now, things, whether it's milk, butter, bacon, bread, whatever, is, are costing me a lot more outpacing the raise that I ended up getting this past April. I mean, yep. those are some things that do stress out personal finance. How do you keep the stress out of that? Yeah, a couple truths. One, prices will always go up. And two, they will vary at the rate at which they go up. Um, Mm -hmm. And then if we wanted to say three, the question is, you got to manage- Why are they going up now, though? Is it because of the pandemic-driven, just a lot of different things with that? There's a a few things working together. And just just simply, there's obviously massive supply chain issues. So you have the globe get sick and people can't go to work for a long period of time. This, all the little inputs, the raw materials, all the you know intermediate steps between the beginning and finished product, they all get right. slowed down. So that's thing number one. Thing number two, you know, those things that have made it to different ports, they can't be unloaded off trucks. They can't be unloaded off the ships onto trucks. So, right. so that that's thing number two. Thing number three is we just came out of a pandemic where everyone's wealth, everyone's cash went up because we didn't spend any money on average, not everyone's, but on average. Our, our cash that's spendable went up in our bank accounts. And then we got freed on the world, right? We couldn't right. spend, we couldn't spend, we couldn't spend, and then boom, spending. So we have the combination of a huge, you know, bump upwards in spending. And at the same time, we can't get the goods. Like I have a, I have a right. buddy who ordered a Ford pickup nine months ago, and he was expecting the delivery three months ago. And it's wow. still not still not with him. So he's waiting for the chips to be 
to be designed and built and put in the truck so the truck can be delivered. Hopefully he's saying this month, but they put it off a number of times. So this Ooh, is the chips. The chip shortage is what's driving me nuts because I want we're doing our show in 1440p just because my own personal laptop cannot handle the 4K ability. It could technically, but I think with how long our videos would be, the computer would just overheat and shut off. So I'm <laughs> waiting to get a new laptop with an RTX, but the prices are insane right yep. now. So I've got to wait for that market to tone down. Uh, 4K will come in the future eventually. Uh, but, you know, you, you did say something like, hey, we're past pandemic. I don't think we're fully out no. of the pandemic yet. And it's funny, I've started this show July of 2020, July 6th to be specific. And I've been saying since the first episode, so we're at the tail end of this pandemic, it seems like. And here we are 18 months later, and it's still going on. And yet I look like you may think things are hard now or you're looking at shelves. And yeah, there's an abundance of resources fighting for the same amount of material when there's a lack of supply because of reasons like you just mentioned and like I did with the, the RTX, the computer stuff. But look at places like my wife's family, Peruvian, okay? They're still all but shut down in a lot yep. of places of Peru. I mean, look what's going on in Australia, for example, where it's very, very restricted in a lot of these places. So there's a lot of places, a mix, I'd say, between first world and third world type countries that are a lot worse off than we are with without a doubt and that's uh you know there's a there's a massive discussion about hey do we do do we do the third shot for people in the u.s and people in europe or do we or do we ship those shots to uh to africa and south america so that so that people can have their first and second shots because that will stop right. the the new the new variants being created and that's probably a bigger deal oh, long term wow. i mean and that's i guess the the we have figured out how to deal, not with, you know, with a pandemic that lasts. We we figured out how to manage and work through. And, you know, I'm not I'm not all that comfortable well, we, with the restaurants, but we can. Uh, right, but didn't we kind of figure? I mean, this isn't the first pandemic we've been through. I mean, I, I some could argue. Well, to this scale, we've never been through this during our lifetime, obviously. But we did have, like, I was living down in South America and Mexico during the, the swine flu, 99% sure my wife, had, uh, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, but 99% sure that we got it in Peru, traveling through Peru on a bus all the way up through the middle of Ecuador to Quito to take our flight to Tijuana, Mexico. Um, it was the what should have been the most amazing trip of my life. It was the worst trip of my life going through the swine flu, which was pretty bad in the Americas. But even going back to what the Spanish flu of 1918, I mean, they yep. figured out a way to get around that and make, you know, that work at that time as well, too. Has that taught us anything? in the past with financial cycle. I, I think that the a lot of questions in one there. Yeah, I know. I think, the, I think the core lesson is that whether it's a, um, an election or a pandemic yep. or a war or a famine, mm -hmm. it gets resolved. The, yeah. the issues come, they're scary. The media inflames everyone's panic. Uh, and then 
the power especially now. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And that's, you talk about the, this pandemic versus the, the 1918 pandemic, yeah. 1918, we all pulled together to fix this today. Right. It's not that way. We're 50, we're, we're 50% of us are, are opposed to doing, taking the steps necessary. Um, yeah. Which, you know, yeah. some of them have really good reasons and I'm not, I don't want to judge anybody, but um, it's, it's, it's tough to see how in this polarized environment, we can solve any really big problems but we will solve them. We, they will yeah. become things of the past. I, I think people forget that there's more that pulls us together than actually pulls us apart. I mean, you could probably count on 10 fingers the, the top 10 issues that pulls most people apart in this country. Whereas if you look at us compared to, uh, you know, someplace like China or Russia, I mean, there's probably hundreds of difference of reasons, you know, between cultures, laws, regulations, stuff like that, that separates us and them. And I think that's something that, that oftentimes people, people forget. And I want to tie that up with you know, you're big on happiness and you talk a lot about the true sources of happiness. So why do you think all of that matters when you're investing? Let's talk just real briefly about the structure of my book. So there's, there's three, oh, yeah. three sections. Oh, wait, 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 you have a book? Yes. Mindful Money uh, <laughs> is, the, is the book. Uh, and uh, uh, so the first section of the book is sort of debunks a lot of the myths that we talk about uh, in, well, the media talks about that we learn at the knees of our grandparents, you know, before we know we're learning lessons about money. There's a lot of myths out there. So we debunk some myths. The middle section mm-hmm. is all about what are those things that actually make us happy that, that, that bring about, you know, what a lot of the psychologists call well-being or satisficing. What is it that makes life worth living? And there's, you know, there's six or seven or eight things you probably list can go to nine or 10. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that this is you know specific or anything like that, but I, I talk about things like health, you know, lifelong learning, uh, mm-hmm. you know, deep relationships, optimism, generosity, gratitude, these sorts of things that's that, uh, uh social science, that priests, ministers, monks, uh, you know, psychologists have been, have been thinking about for literally thousands of years. Okay. Yeah. But we know, we know what these are and, And if you are going to create a financial plan that's going to take into account all those life milestones you have um, and and end with a retirement income you can't outlive or with some kind of legacy for your family or community, then why not start with those things that are going to make you happy? Why not make the relationships and time with your family the core of that? Why not make generosity the core of that? Why not look at what the academics and the Buddhist monks and the priests have been saying for years and years and years and years and make that the core of the financial plan? If you, if you, right. build, if you build it, your financial world on top of what makes you happy, you get better finances, but more important than that, you get more happiness. You get a happiness dividend. That's an amazing answer, by the way. I don't want to diminish it at all, but I do have one question like with the the religion from the seminary to the Buddhist portion, did travel have any influence on you and just seeing the world differently, or where where did that come from? Yeah, it's. I mean, I wish um, that I had the ability to travel to make that to make that. Influence. I didn't. I I didn't have any money until I was probably thirty five. 
uh, I was, you know, I've been broke for a long, for most of, for the vast majority. Right. What I, what I did though is. Why do you think I moved to Tijuana, Mexico when I wanted to live internationally? I mean, <laughs> I, I moved to Tijuana and I literally crossed the border every single day. Now this is two months post September 11th. Every single day for almost 15 years, I crossed the border from Tijuana to San Diego, mostly on foot, waiting in a borderline, sometimes up to six hours a day to cross into the U.S., especially the closer to 2001 you got. And, you know, I was broke. I was poor. And it really gave me a totally another aspect on life. And many of our guests have had that same experience, whether they lived in Brazil or they lived in Africa or Asia or some other question. And that gave them their their awakening to that sense. And that's why I, I wanted to see where you were coming from. With yeah. That. And then and then a lot of the a lot of the thinking though comes from that graduate school philosophy, a lot of a lot of okay. comparative religion, a lot of that. But that's I, I wish I, I could have traveled when I was younger. Yeah. I wish I mean yeah, I lived in Tijuana for 15 years, but I really wish I could have traveled more than just living in Baja. Don't get me wrong. I love Baja. I actually view Baja more as my hometown than I do my actual hometown because I lived there longer, but um, Mexican green card and everything. But, you know, I do wish I could have got out, traveled to places like Europe or Africa, Asia, stuff like that. I just was never able to afford it. And, you know, I had a kid when I was young, when I was uh, 18, turning 19, down in Mexico and... Uh, it's been one, you know, crazy journey. Finally, just felt like I was starting to get on top of things, finding my groove. And then we went into the Great Recession and it's like you lose everything. And it took me many, many years to kind of scrape and fight my way out of that to get where I'm at today. So that's yeah. why I'm proud of my story. And it sounds like you know, if you didn't really get money up until around the age of 35, it sounds like you probably have somewhat of a similar story of just fighting every tooth and nail to be able to make it. Yeah, I mean, I, I started in the, so I, I dropped out of my Buddhist studies program. Like I never finished with my master's because my wife thought it was her turn to go to school. So that seemed fair enough. So I, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll quit and you go to school. And so I, I signed up with a um, Wall Street firm. And I spent, yeah. I, in th the following five years, this is 96 to 2001, uh, I was at seven different Wall Street firms learning all the wow. crap about how not to do this. And I, and I built three businesses and blew three of them up. And, uh, and then I finally started all over on my own in 2001, uh, starting my own firm, still, you know, asked six clients what they wanted. And they said, you know what, education and planning. And so that Everything I talk about now, it, it, the levers that we pull to improve success for our clients is education and planning. And that's what they asked for originally. I didn't really tie that together into the whole process that, oh, they, they wanted actually the right thing because I still was convinced that my acumen was in investing intelligence and I was a brilliant you know, trader or whatever, which is complete BS. It's all ego. Mm -hmm. um, the, the thing that matters is education and planning. So if, uh, uh, the more we focus on that, and the more I turned my company towards that, the more successful I became. That's amazing. That is a really good story because as I mentioned earlier, one of the big areas we like to focus on on this show is personal growth and the personal transitions, whether it's a career transition or whatever 
It may be because a lot of our audience has gone through the same thing or are thinking of going through the same thing. Like right now, they're in the great resignation. And, uh, you know, hearing your struggles and what, what you've learned and went through, it definitely is going to inspire others. Um, we do got to get wrapped up. I do have two final questions for you. The first one is, and I think this goes back to your book, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, you talk about financial illusions. Can you give us a 30-second overview of what you view of financial illusions? Is this what we kind of discussed earlier, like with the lottery ticket, Dogecoin, or something else? So, yeah, let's let's use that as an example. So there's like, in, in the book, there's eight of them, but let's talk about the one that the lottery ticket is most important about. Um, mm -hmm. One of the illusions is that um, volatility is a risk. One of the big illusions is that the fact that things go up and down in value is what is risky, where the fact that things go up and down in value is just a fact. All things do this. Real estate does it, every stock does it, bonds do it, you know, cash does it in a different way. Um, but so what is the, what is the truth? If, if volatility isn't risk, what is risk? Risk is human response. It's volatility plus response. It's reaction. Uh, the thing that happened in 2020, everything shut down, markets cratered, people panicked, they sold. Knee-jerk um, reactions. Yep. And if they had a plan that said, you know, from time to time, markets are going to go down 15%. You know, once every five or six years, they're going to go down 30%. And you expected it. You built it into the plan. You knew it was going to happen. Then, then your reaction changes. You go, okay, I expected this. What did my plan say I was supposed to do? Well, I keep saving. Keep doing what my plan said it was calling for me to do. Uh, and that's ha having the plan avoids the reaction, the knee-jerk reaction. And that is one of the biggest illusions is that risk is volatility. You don't have to run from that. Volatility is natural. It's normal. Don't mm -hmm. run from it. Embrace it. Use it to your advantage. When the markets initially crashed with, with COVID, I happened to only have an extra 2000 that I was uh, willing to part ways with uh, because who knew with work and all the mysteries and everything else that was out there. I'd like to think my job is secure, but uh, you never know if everything starts shutting down for long periods of time. And I, I was like, okay, well, I see opportunity here. You know, it just crashed. I, I can buy things at a discount. And like many other people, I, I think I was very successful. I was specifically looking for stocks that had a decent history that I viewed like, oh, wow, these just went down 70, 80, 90%. And I can get that. And right now today, I mean, or even when oil went negative, for example, and remember, I'm not a financial advisor, so don't listen to me, listen to... Uh, this other gentleman here, Jonathan, but like I went out, got UCO, USO, and now like those, that $2,000 that I got, well, well, like probably 20, 25,000 ish, depending on the day right now it's turned into. I mean, is that an illusion? Was that a smart risk? Was that, uh, is that something that would be a dumb risk? It sounds like 
from our conversations, that's something that you wouldn't have personally changed. No, so I, I'll go back to the three things I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, and this is, yeah. it's, it's always possible to win when you speculate. Uh -huh. It's always right. possible to lose when you speculate. So the, the issue is you don't want your long-term tied to the unknown of speculation. Right. Have some fun short-term, have, you know, have a crazy fun. That's fine. No, not taking that away from anybody. But there are three things that the academics tell us work long-term if you just employ them. One is, again, plan appropriate asset allocation. Two is broad, broad diversification. You know, don't own five companies or don't own just the S&P 500. Own the Russell 3000. Right. Own them all. And then the right. last thing is rebalance, whether it's once a year or anytime there's a 20% deviation, rebalance. And if you rebalance on a regular basis, what you're doing is you are, and this is idiot proof, what you're doing is you are automating the process of buying low and selling high. When you rebalance, you sell the thing that went up on a relative basis and you use those proceeds to buy the thing that went down on a relative basis. So if you just repeat that every year, once a year for 50 years, you're going to be in great shape. You don't have, again, That's good. you don't have to pick USO, UCO. You don't have to pick it because right. most times you're going to get that wrong. Most times right. the trade most is going to times. be See, I figured the way that I, now this is me and my speculation. The way that I speculated is that now it wasn't just UCO, USO. They actually came in later because it wasn't until like April or May or something like that of 2020 yeah, when oil no. crashed. Okay. So I've already made a couple thousand by by that point when some things started going up a little bit and then buying some like it wasn't as easy as i made it sound i turned almost into a day trader because my day job was pretty much shut down uh to sense but what i did was um i figured hey worst case scenario i don't think these companies are going to go out of business even if they don't get to where they're at if they get up to 70, 80% of where they were before the pandemic hit, I'm good. I'll take that. And that's a win for me. So that's how I went into thinking about it. So, so now I want to, what's that? Sorry. I was going to say, there's, there's, there's two little pieces of that, that, that are something, yeah. another part of that. Why not? If, if you speculate and you speculate, you know, and you rotate your speculation. So in other words, if you don't just have a portfolio you're sitting on and you're mm -hmm. speculating with everything, you end up increasing your transaction costs and you end up increasing your tax costs. Right. Whereas if you just own and hold, and when you have more money, you buy more of the same stuff. And we have more money, you buy more of the same stuff. And we have more money, you buy more of the same stuff. If you just do that, you reduce mm -hmm. the expense side. And if you reduce the expense side, you end up with more money in your pocket long-term. And again, I'll go back to this. It's easier. Like, I don't know why uh, yeah. you don't want easy. And still, have fun. I mean, make a trade every now and then if that's what people want to do. I personally never do it anymore. I've I've yeah. screwed it up often enough that I'm not going to speculate. Okay. So my last question is a fun question, and it's going to be on speculation. Why is Berkshire Hathaway BRK.A worth $420,000 per share as of today? Well, I mean, the, the why main... is it so expensive that that because uh, I guess this is a fund writer uh, with William Buffett, I believe. But as of today, that's where it closed at. That's Warren, Warren Buffett. So 
Yeah, the, Warren Buffett. Yeah, sorry. It's so when you're buying a stock, you're not buying a share of stock. You're buying earnings, mm-hmm. right? You're buying a, a future stream of earnings from a company. The difference between whatever GE or Ford or any you know S&P 500 company and Berkshire is Berkshire has never split its stock. So okay. If, Right. So that, that's why it's such an expensive share. When you look at the PE ratio, when you look at the value of the shares, they also have a whole bunch of earnings for each share, probably, mm. you know, 420, what is that? Probably 900 times earnings right. share as the other one because their shares are so expensive. So it's, it's, it's in a very efficient world in that space, as long as you're looking at at both the price and the benefit, which is the earnings. Yeah, yeah. I saw that pop up on a, uh, I think it was a Reddit thread. They were talking about like the most expensive stock. And at the time, that was by far the most expensive stock out there. I could not be left alone. I bought $2 worth of two different points. I'm down to a dollar sixty-eight of market value, but I'm sure it'll go up in the next 30 years. I mean, I want to, I just want to quibble with (laughs) the words you're using. So you, you, the the it's not the that's not the expense that's the price right right, right? the price you think about the expense yes. it's mm-hmm. it's it's price per unit of something it, mm-hmm. you know it's the it's the relative value that you're purchasing whereas the price is four hundred twenty seven thousand or eighty seven thousand whatever you said it was yeah um, four hundred twenty thousand five hundred and fifty yep. as of today's yep. recording yep. so yep. according to Robinhood I am point Zero, 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 zero. I think there's one more zero four <laughs> of, uh, of the stock. <laughs> so, oh, well, hey, Jonathan, this has been great. Tell us, please, where can people find mindful money and how can people digitally, please note, I'm saying digitally stalk you online. <laughs> yeah, best place to go is to, is to mindful.money. Uh, not not .com, mindful.money, and all of my social media is there and everything that we, we do there. We have a YouTube channel. You know, we're on all the social media places. You can you can find us anywhere there. You got a podcast? Mindfulwealthpodcast.com. Definitely come check that out as well. Oh, definitely. We'll make sure that we have the links to Mindful Money and the podcast down below, whether you're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Verbal, Anywhere you're at, you'll uh, see it. Just look down in the description or the pinned comment. Hey, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Did you have fun? I did have fun. And you know what? Getting shark bit wasn't so bad. Thanks, David. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Becoming shark bait. Yeah, exactly. You got shark bit. Thank you. Take care, Jonathan. Wow, such an awesome chat with Jonathan, right? First, you know the routine. If this interview gave you the warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. And if you really like this episode, please share us out. Your friends, family, colleagues, share it to your parents. Yes, good old mom and dad love Shark Bite Biz and love learning about business just as much as you do. Share it out there in Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever you dwell on the interwebs. Get it out there. I'd love to see nothing more than Mindful Money, Jonathan DeYo, and Shark Bite Biz out there treading. Now let's get back to our rock star of a guest, Mr. Jonathan DeYo, because this was such a great chat. And he brought up a real important point, I think, out of the gate. And that is that talking about money brings up a lot of stress and anxiety in our lives. I mean, everybody has had very stressful moments not everybody, most people, 99% of people have had stressful moments about finances or money during their lives, okay? 
very few people have not experienced it at some point. And that's just the reality of what it is. And that's probably that 1% that controls everything that doesn't have to worry about it. But people like you, me, you know, my family, your family, yeah, we stress about it. And I thought it was really interesting looking back in this interview when Jonathan said, and I quote, I don't buy lottery tickets and I don't buy Bitcoin. Crypto right now, look, love or hate it. And remember, I am not a financial advisor. Jonathan is a financial advisor. So uh, his quote has more weight than my quote. But, uh, you know, love or hate crypto, you cannot deny crypto has value. At least it does right now. Who knows in 20 years if it'll have value. It has value right now. People are trading this just like they did trading cards, just like they do stock. I mean, to me, I view crypto as a stock 2.0. Instead of having all the regulations and restrictions that a regular you know, piece of capital stock has, with crypto, I mean, it's something that's able to be traded instantly, globally, and... You know, you don't have to belong to a bank or an exchange or whatever. You could do it offline. I mean, it, it just, there's no limits to what you could do with it. But, you know, even with the value, if it's true, if it's real, if it's fake, if it's imaginary, like I said, it is to be determined but it is a kind of like scratching a lottery ticket. And that's where I completely agree with Jonathan. You don't know if it's going to shoot up in value. I mean, yeah, some people were like, hey, you know, Bitcoin, it's going to go up to 50 or 100 or a million dollars. Okay. Um, and well, it's at 50,000 right now, 55,000, I think, as I record this. But the other cryptos, I mean, they can or can't do that it just it's too hard to predict and that's where i think that the i don't buy lottery tickets and i don't buy bitcoin phrase has a lot of value because every time you buy something it is scratching a lottery ticket to see will you get to the moon or not and in fact with it being such a volatile market I mean, you have some old school people. I look at um, Diamond, the CEO of JP Morgan. He just came out and said uh, a week or two ago that Bitcoin, crypto, it's worthless. Okay, so you have to balance it out. We've had a lot of financial advisors on this show, too, that have said, hey, diversified portfolio, a small percentage we agree with, but we don't put a lot of stake into it yet. I just so weird. I mean, crypto is one of those one of those things that it's hard to to gauge. Some people are all into it, other people stay away from it. And I think that it's just so new. I mean, if you look at everything, everything goes in cycles, trends, and that's how you can predict things. And that's how people that are more traditional operate because you can predict markets usually going off of cycles. And to a degree, I think that's a general consensus. I could be kind of wrong. And, you know, crypto is so new that, one, people are afraid of it because they don't understand. And that, that, that's just a flat-out truth. People don't understand crypto, and people tend to fear what they don't understand. 
So whatever it is, what it is, that's for you to decide. You know, it doesn't matter what it's about. You know, who do you believe? I mean, it's it it's it, it's hard, but I I think you really, if you want to find out, should you invest in crypto? The best thing to do is talk to a couple different financial advisors and then do some studying, do some homework, understand how the technology works and what the crypto coin is actually powering. Something like Dogecoin powers nothing. It's a meme coin. It does nothing. That's why it's so ironic that it's shot up in value. But if you're looking at something like a Bitcoin that's doing the blockchain or some of these other coins like uh, the Maker coin and stuff like that, that's where, yeah, I mean, it can have value. So I want to give out a big shout out to Mike Jewell, Jim Shirley, because they taught me the five Ps. They were mentors of mine earlier in my career, and they really taught me something that Jonathan talked about in this interview, which was proper planning prevents poor performance. And, you know, with that, Jonathan was talking about proper planning and how having proper planning is very important so that you don't do a knee-jerk reaction that maybe it doesn't cost you a lot of money in terms of you lost money, but gives it to where you don't earn as much as what you could have. And therefore, it is costing you money because you possibly could have earned two, three, four, five times as much. And that's something that I've learned from as well too and it goes back to what we were just talking about with the cycles of the markets and stuff like that and proper planning does prevent you from having that poor performance because you know what you're going to expect and that's why when i heard jonathan say that it just made so much sense in my brain that it was just it like light bulbs turned on it it made sense i understood what he was saying and uh, you know a good example of this is like when i go to the casino I usually make a couple bucks and I leave, okay? And there's a reason behind that. I leave because I know that if I let my emotion get into it, I'm going to make the knee-jerk reaction, get cocky, bet all the money I got, lose every penny I got. If I get greedy and want to win more, chances are that I will lose because I will lose control of my emotions. I'll bite off more than what I can chew. And then it's just a losing scenario. So that's where I try to take myself out of that situation. That if I go into casino and I'm like, hey, I got 500 bucks. Let's see if I hit with this. I hit, you know, maybe I get another 500 bucks, double my money, whatever it is, where in my head it's like, hey, if I have X and I get to Y, I'm leaving. That's it. I'm out the door. I'm happy because if I try to go above that or I try to play from behind, that's where it creates an issue to where you're playing with emotion instead of playing with your brains. So please, hey, remember, grab Jonathan's book, Mindful Money. It is a great read. Thank you, Jonathan, so much for sending this out to me. The link for Mindful Money is going to be down below in the description. Question of the day. When was the last time you made a financial knee-jerk reaction? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. Remember, do you want to be in the show? If so, send out an email to interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Please don't forget to join the channel. You can join SharkBiteBiz on YouTube, $3 a month. You can become a baby shark or head on over to our coffee company, deadhousecoffee.com. Use code SHARK. 
you'll get 20% off of your order. We'll get the proceeds to grow this show. You all know this by now, but I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Fight Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.